Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Our family, we made it back yesterday, and now we are in full-on Christmas mode. Uh, today, today, we officially end our trek through the book of Philippians. Y'all, this book has been so good for my heart and soul. Um, I have found a great privilege to, to preach through this book. Um, but that said, next week, we officially begin a three-week mini-series that will take us to Christmas. Uh, and then after Christmas, we're going to we're going to spend several weeks in the Psalms, uh, specifically the Psalms of the 60s. And just to throw a cheesy gro- uh, joke out there, it's going to be groovy, okay? Um, but in all seriousness, the emphasis of that, that will be on the restoring nature of God, taking time to slow down uh, and just letting the Psalms minister us, minister to us as we jump into a new year. But today we end the book of Philippians. Uh, and something I, th- I think is helpful for us to remember uh, as we get to the end of this letter uh, is, is remembering this letter in a lot of ways, it was, it was like a missionary support letter. Uh, Paul considers the Philippian church his partners in ministry. Uh, and today we see a little bit more of what this partnership looks like, uh, which pretty quickly leads us to our main idea that uh, joy is found in gospel partnerships. That joy is found in gospel partnerships. And uh, if you remember... Uh, In the opening few verses of this book, in verses 3 to 5 of of chapter 1, Paul said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Reminding us uh, that this Philippian church uh, is in a gospel partnership with Paul. They're partnering together in the work of the gospel. And if you remember, uh, this church, this Philippian church, it was birthed through Paul's evangelism efforts that we saw in Acts 16, where he sat down with Lydia, a businesswoman, uh, and saw her profess faith. And then right after that, uh, he witnessed a great work of God through a slave girl and then also through a jailer. We saw in the book, we saw that very beginning in in the book of Acts. Uh, In this Philippian church, it was birthed through Paul's efforts, his evangelism efforts, as he was laboring with God. Uh, And he saw that where God was working, and then he went and joined him, uh, and the church was birthed. And he didn't just leave this young church. No, Uh, we see now that this church, this Philippian church, they partnered with him. They were supporting Paul, and they were encouraging him. And in today's text, we start to see this partnership language bubble back up, you know, seeing a a few more specific details of what this partnership entailed. And so as we, uh, as we think about this entire book and how encouraging it is uh, for us to read and to, and to kind of sit in, and ha- just how, how encouraging, we had to think about how encouraging it would have been for the Philippian church. And in the midst of all of it, uh, we see a picture of this partnership with the giving and receiving on both sides. You know, uh, that's, that's, an essence, uh, that's the essence of a partnership. There's a mutual benefit and there's a mutual encouragement laboring in the same direction. And just as a few quick, just as a quick reference in our culture today, you know, we, we have, there's a few great partners that we can think of, like Batman and Robin, right, or or Woody and Buzz Lightyear, or for the Star Wars fans, R2D2 and C3PO, you know, one of my childhood fav- favorites, uh, Mario and Luigi. And there you go. I did a quick uh, Google search of some of the greatest partners of all time, and I was shocked that uh, Scooby Doo and Shaggy were at the top of the list, but you know, it is what it is. But nonetheless. Not only are we see partners in TV, uh, in Hollywood, they're also great partners in the Bible. 
Some of these great partners in the Bible uh, were those of like Moses and Aaron, what we saw in Exodus, you know, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, right? there's Naomi and Ruth. And as we know, Paul himself, he had many partners, partners with, uh, the ch- with, whole, with whole churches like we see in the book uh, of Philippians and then uh, with individuals like Timothy. And today, Paul is addressing the entire church of Philippi. They're his partners. Now, I think we generally get uh, individual partners in the gospel, this idea of uh, having someone to labor with. Uh, but this idea of a church-wide partnership seems a little bit different. And I think it's because of our culture. When we think of church, we think of an organization or we think of a, a service. And not always, it, we, it, we don't always jump to a community of people. Right? Living in the same unified direction uh, to see the gospel take root deeper into our own lives and also into the lives of others. And so for us, as, as us today, we need to remember uh, that we all together are partners in the gospel. We're essentially a community-wide partnership. If you call New City Church your home church, you're a partner with us in the gospel to see Jesus change lives here in Tampa and to the ends of the earth. Your city group, your discipleship group that we get in with, with throughout the week, in essence, by design, they're intended to be gospel partnerships. Your husband and your wife, your friends, your roommates uh, and friends are, are your co-laborers in the gospel. When we have gospel partners, you know, we're working together for the advancement of the gospel in our own hearts and lives and in the lives of those around us. And uh, this may, at times, uh, like we'll see in today's passage, come through financial support, but it also comes through prayer, encouragement, and spiritual and emotional support. You know, we all need gospel partners. Uh, We may not always need financial support for our ministry, but we all need people to encourage us, right, to pray for us uh, and support and care for us. Gospel partners, they come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, but the most direct example of what we see Paul had uh, with the Philippian church is like, what, uh, is like what we have with our church, right? New City Church has, you know, we've had several churches uh, par- partner with us and help us get started and established. There's other organizations that we partner with uh, here in the, in the city, like the Pregnancy Care Center and Mort Elementary. Uh, we also partner with other church plants around the United States. And then also uh, we, have, we, we partner with missionaries in South Asia and in the Middle East. But not only that, like, but as I said, we also have several churches uh, and individuals that give money and resources to our church, either yearly or monthly, to help us run the ministry of our church. You know, there, there are several churches in North Carolina. Uh, we have several uh, from other parts of the country that give resources, including here in Florida and in the Tampa area, uh, that pray, they pray regularly for our church to help uh, keep up with us and seek to encourage us. Uh, and because of their ongoing financial support, along with many of you, uh, we're able to do what we do in a long-term, healthy, and in a sustainable way. Like we're here, we're, we're planted here because of their support. And so you know, just so you know, when you give to New City Church, you're a, you're a gospel partner in our ministry. Uh, when people are discipled, when people profess faith, when people are cared for and encouraged, uh, you're a partner in that just simply through your financial support. And so as we get into our passage, we're going to talk about money and generosity. Um, why? Because, well, Paul talks about it. Um, and I know, I know, as soon as I say that, as soon as we talk, start talking about money, uh, there's a natural tendency just to feel uncomfortable, uh, which is exactly why we need to talk about it. And a couple of fun facts uh, here, did you know that the Bible talks more, uh, gives more warnings on money than it does sex? Here's another one. Did you know that money is one of the most talked about topics in the Bible? Money is talked about more than faith. It's talked about more than hope and love and, and even prayer. 
You know, I don't think it's an accident. I don't think this is an accident. The Lord knows uh, the effects that money can have on our lives. Our hearts are so easily tied to our wallets and our pocketbooks, and, uh, and so we have to talk about it. You know, one of the pastors, one of my pastors about seven or eight, uh, eight or nine years ago, um, it, he said, if we want a window into a person's heart, just look at their checkbook. It was the, it was the great Martin Luther uh, that said, There's a, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. Right, the conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and then there's the conversion of our pocketbook. And so please know, right, as, we, as we talk about money, uh, this is not at all a budget issue for us. Not at all. This is something that we all, including myself, we have to continually wrestle with. In fact, just to show my hand early, the application that's tied to giving today uh, will be tied to giving to a fund where 100% of what you give will go outside of our church. We, we, don't, we won't benefit it from it at all. And so as we get into our text today, we're going to see the joy of, uh, of gospel partnerships, looking more specifically on the giving and receiving side of gospel partnerships as Paul addresses. And so that said, let's get back in the, on the back end of Philippians 4, uh, and then we'll dive more into this idea of gospel partnerships. Look at Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to abound. In, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So right off the bat here, we've got another popular memory verse in verse 13. We just read, I can do all things through Christ uh, who strengthens me. All things through him who strengthens me. Which, as we get into this, uh, we'll see is often misunderstood and, and why we need to read verses in context because uh, this often quoted verse is surrounded by the context of having abundance and having need and not being able to do whatever goal we, uh, we wish or we aspire to. Um, you know, I would love to go out today, this afternoon, and go dunk a basketball. And I can pray Philippians 4.13 as often and as hard and as much as I can all day long, but I'm not dunking that basketball. It's just not going to happen. The problem is not with my faith. The problem is with my jumping ability and maybe the goal is 10 feet and not like six or seven feet. Um, but this, this, this verse is not intended to be an all-encompassing statement uh, that empowers us to do whatever we want to do. No, the better application shows us this verse is more about contentment and material possessions than it is striving to run like a 4440. Okay, which leads us to our first point. Number one, gospel partners are content. You know, the very first thing Paul hits us with is contentment, this idea of being satisfied, uh, which I think we can agree is, is increasingly harder to find in today's world, especially in our fast-paced, goal-oriented world uh, where it's edited and filtered. Uh, it's easier now more than ever before in history because of technology and, and, and to constantly compare and to desire the greener grass. It's all around us, right, all, all the time, and we can steal our joy and our contentment. You know, I read a poem this past week, written by a guy named Jason Lehman. He was 14 years old uh, when he wrote it, uh, and it spoke all too well on the discontent life uh, and the striving to get into this next season and, 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 and to get into the next. And this is what he wrote. He said, it was spring, uh, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors, it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air, it was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, 
the warmth and the blossoming of nature. Uh, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. And as we think about this concept of contentment, this idea of being satisfied, contentment is something that uh, we know we're to strive for, and it's something we all want to obtain, while at the same time, while we're striving to obtain it, we don't have it. Because when you're satisfied, you're done. When you're content, you don't need anything else. For example, over Thanksgiving, you know, I was hungry, I ate, and I was satisfied. At least I thought I was satisfied, uh, but apparently not. And so I kept eating. I laid down and I was vastly discontent. I was just miserable. Uh, and what's so challenging about contentment is that we live in a goal-oriented culture uh, that also continues to want more. You know, there's always a better mountain to climb. There's always a, another job or a better job to get. There's always another deal to win or better grades to get. There's always a nicer house or better car or better clothes or better food. Uh, it's easier to desire more friends or better friends or different friends. Or for Thanksgiving, that dessert table, it was calling my name. You know, we're, uh, we could go on and on and on about this. We're in a world with a constant striving for the next thing. And whether we know it or not, it can, be, it can be pervasive in our lives. And it can slowly just kind of erode at our souls. And Paul knew this. Paul had to learn. He had to fight for contentment. He said, I had to learn to be content. It didn't come natural. It was something that he had to work towards. And I said, let's look back at what Paul says. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit more. Um, if you remember, Paul's writing this letter. He's writing it from a prison cell. Uh, and he basically says in a nice way, I'm so thankful for you. I'm grateful for you. But I also... I, I don't really need you. Like, uh, what you did was really helpful. Uh, it really helped a lot. He's super grateful for it, but he knows that Jesus alone is sufficient. You know, the, the, Philippi, the, if the Philippian church helped, great. He's happy and content. If they didn't help, great. He's still happy and content. Paul knew that the Philippian church, they were partners, uh, and he's thankful for them, thankful for them uh, but he wasn't dependent on them. Look back at what he said in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, I think it's kind of funny. He, he says he rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you revived your concern for me, which to me seems like in a nice way, like you forgot about me um, and then you remembered me. And then he gives them an out by saying something like, you wanted to help, but you just didn't have the opportunity. Uh, and then he goes on to say in verse 11 and 12, just to read it again, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul reminds the Philippian church that he wasn't dependent on them because he learned how to be content in all circumstances. And in this instance, he specifically, uh, he's speaking specifically of being content with his resources and his possessions. He said he knows how to be brought low. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like not to have basic needs. He knows what it's like to abound, to have plenty, to have an abundance. In all of these seasons, he's learned to be content. He wasn't dependent on the Philippian church. He, wasn't de he was dependent on the Lord only. Rather, they were gospel partners. There was a mutual benefit. Paul blessed them and they blessed Paul, uh, which is why we say gospel partners are content. Because if there's no contentment, there's an unhealthy dependency. 
You know, gospel partners are co-laborers with a mutual giving and receiving. Paul encouraged uh, the Philippi church. He mentored them. He discipled them. He taught them. He prayed for them. He helped provide direction and oversight. And in return, the Philippian church blessed Paul with these resources. But the integral part of this healthy gospel partnership was Paul's contentment in the Lord, not in what he had or what he did not have. And what's interesting about this is that Paul, he acts like he didn't have any needs, but us looking on the outside, we can look in and say, well, maybe, maybe he did have needs. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, uh, but it's kind of like when someone sends you a very nice gift uh, that would have been nice to have, uh, but you know you don't need it. Uh, you would have been fine without it, but it was really, really helpful that you had it. For example, most of my kids, uh, they live barefoot most of the time, specifically my two youngest. <laughs> uh, shoes aren't a necessity to them. Uh, they're more of a luxury, specifically for mom and dad. It's a luxury. They run around in the scolding hot Florida neighborhood streets barefoot. Uh, this is just the life of a Hovis kid. That's just what they do. Uh, if you see my two youngest kids in shoes, they're dressing up for you. Okay, it's an honor. And so when they get new shoes, they're thankful. Uh, but they also think they don't need them. They're perfectly content running around barefoot just year round. Uh, and this is vaguely similar to what's happening with Paul. It's not a perfect illustration, but you get the idea because Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell where he is likely dependent on outside support for most things. He just needed other people to supply his needs. And he writes in our passage today in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, as if he doesn't have any needs sitting in a jail cell, but rather he knows that in all situations he's to be content. Why? Because uh, he has Jesus Christ. He knows he has the strength of Christ. And brothers and sisters, when we grasp this, being content in Christ and Christ alone, this is incredibly empowering. It's so easy for us to live in a Jesus plus fill in the blank world where we want Jesus. We know we need Jesus, but we also want Jesus plus something else. And then we'll be content. This is likely a daily struggle for, for many of us or each of us in some way. Like, like we want Jesus, but then we also want our circumstances to be a little better. Uh, which is not a bad thing, to try and improve our life, but in doing so, right, it's so easy to base our contentment on how that turns out, on what we have or on what we don't have. And Paul here is reiterating that he has learned to be content in Jesus Christ alone. Paul's contentment is not found on his circumstances. It's not based on being next to a warm fire on a cool fall night, reading a book in a big comfy chair, right? That sounds nice for maybe some of us, but as we all know, those fires go out, those books will end, and the stresses of life, they come right back. Paul knows that the true and lasting contentment is found in what does not change. Jesus Christ alone satisfies us. We can be content in Christ alone, and when we as a people, when we grasp the contentment of Christ and nothing else, not in what we want for Christmas, not in our job or where we live, not in how much money we have or how much money we don't have, not in, where, in how many friends we have or what friends we don't have, not in the relationships we have or what we don't have, not in what our kids do or what they don't do. No, when our contentment is in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else, God unlocks our hearts and lives for radical generosity and a zeal for God's mission. Y'all, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard for the enemy to penetrate our hearts and lives with his fiery darts when we are happy and content in the Lord. The gospel is such good news and it is so freeing because no matter what happens, when we are hidden in Christ through the gospel by believing in the shed blood of Christ uh, at the cross, believing that he was raised from the dead, 
when we believe this, yes, the gospel saves us for eternal life. But this gospel, it's also necessary for everyday life. The gospel is for salvation, but it's for also for everyday sanctification. We need the gospel to be with Jesus forever into eternity, and we need the gospel to be more like Jesus today. We need the gospel every single day to find recurring satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. We need it because no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how often our hearts long for something else other than the Lord, no matter how discontent our hearts and souls are, no matter how attached we are to this world uh, and, and, and material possessions and security and comfort, no matter how often our hearts get tied to something else other than Jesus, we can always come back forgiven and fully redeemed, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we can find happiness and contentment and warmth in the Lord's loving arms. Because no matter what we've done, in the gospel we always have a safe space that is found in Jesus Christ. No matter how discontent and unsatisfied we are because of the gospel, God our Father, he's always satisfied with us. Always. We can kick and scream and yell and be angry, but yet in the gospel, Jesus, he holds us steady and sure. Until we realize yet again we're in the loving arms of God, safe and secure and content, warming our souls to be changed, all the while becoming more like Jesus in the process. We don't need beaches and warm fires and big comfy chairs and a good book to find contentment. We can be content sitting in a jail cell, cold, hungry, and with no food because we have a safe and secure space in Christ and Christ alone. And that's enough. Sometimes, maybe even oftentimes... It will be very hard to remember that as we sit in maybe our metaphorical jail cell, cold, hungry, overcome with our surrounding circumstances, because we forget. Right? We forget our gospel promises. We forget our gospel standing. We forget that we have a safe space with Christ. We forget the comfort and the warmth and the peace we can have with Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, this is something we have to fight for. We need to remind each other of our gospel identity, that we are hidden in Christ. We are found in Christ, the God of the universe who made the heavens and the earth. He holds the whole world in his hands, and that alone is our satisfaction. We need to remember this in our seasons in abundance and in our seasons of lack. And as Paul says in verse 13, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Which leads us to our next section. Look at verse 14 to 16. Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so, and so Paul, in essence, says, I didn't need it. I was content without it, but it was really kind of you to help me. But the language Paul says in verse 14 is, it was kind of you to share my trouble you know, again, showing that they were in this together. There was a partnership. There was a shared burden. Paul's trouble was their trouble. And then Paul opened up. Paul said in verse 15, no other church entered into partnership with me. And then he said, uh, in giving and receiving. The Philippian church was the only church that supported him. And they helped Paul with resources. And I'm sure there was encouragement and prayer. And Paul, uh, and Paul, as we see throughout this letter, he gave care and oversight and encouragement and correction back to the Philippi church, which leads us to our second point. Number two, gospel partners give and receive. You know, Paul in these verses makes a clear connection to gospel partnerships and then giving and receiving. There's a mutual benefit in gospel partnerships. And that said, there are a few principles I want to point out about giving and receiving that we see in this text, specifically with our financial resources. 
And the first we, we, already, we already talked about at length, and it's contentment. And it's that generosity follows contentment. And it's, it's no surprise that when Paul talks about giving and receiving, he spends more time on his own personal contentment. And it's, based, and it's because they're undoubtedly linked, uh, linked, because it's really hard to be a generous giver or a grateful receiver if you're not content. You know, if you're not content, you'll always find something else to spend money on. If you're not content, you'll likely rack up a bunch of debt, making it harder and harder to give generously and extravagantly. And just to put it bluntly, bluntly, a bunch of consumer debt is a really big indicator of a discontent life. The desire to constantly want more than what's been allotted to us, it's a sign of discontentment. I'm not, I'm not sure what Dave Ramsey started with for those who are trying to get out of debt, but I get the idea that being content with the resources you have, it's a really great place to start. You know, contentment, and our financial resources shows itself in how we spend our money and also with how we save our money. You know, listen, saving money, it's a good thing and it's a biblical thing. But we can also be tempted towards greed to fill our barns, so to speak, with more. You know, when it comes to resources, as Paul says, to learn to be content with an abundance and also with little. You know, as Pastor Tony Morita has said, uh, there's the financial school of poverty and there's the financial school of prosperity. And greed and discontentment shows itself in both schools. There should always be a tension right, of being wise with our money and also with being an extravagant giver, a cheerful giver, giving sacrificially, uh, maybe even hilariously as a fair way to read 2 Corinthians 9-7. If you're not content, this makes no sense, right? Uh, and it'll be really hard to do. And the second principle following this is that giving and receiving in gospel partnerships are a sacrifice, to say it more succinctly, uh, generosity is a sacrifice. Paul said they shared in his trouble. Uh, they took on Paul's burden and they helped him. Uh, it would have been a lot easier for them to not send anything, to keep it for themselves. But no, Paul said they shared in his trouble. Later in verse 18, Paul said he received their gift and he called their gift a sacrifice. Uh, Paul knew their gift was a, a sacrifice. They had to give up something uh, in order to give. Before, and before we move down here, to, to, to Tampa to plant New City Church. You know, I spent about a year fundraising and getting churches and individuals uh, to partner with us to support our church uh, in several different ways. But it was, you know, it was a very shaping time for me personally. And we received all kinds of gifts in all amounts. Uh, and it was, it was truly unreal. And it was very humbling to see God unlock the hearts of people towards uh, radical generosity. But with all the gifts, all, 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 with all the different types of gifts that were given to our church, there was one gift uh, that hit me a little differently than all the others. You know, I was at one of our partner churches uh, in rural North Carolina, uh, preaching and sharing our vision. Uh, and after the service, this little old lady, uh, she walked up to me and she, she brought me an orange juice <laughs> jug, uh, just full of coins, about, about $100 worth of coins. And she had been saving this money for over eight months uh, putting coins in this plastic jug every single day and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this money? This is for you. And she told me, uh, you know, I've been praying for this for a while, and I want you and your church, I want your church to have this money. And God made it clear uh, that this is what she had been saving for. And so I was kind of walking around after church holding this jug of coins, and then uh, her pastor later told me that she was, she was homeless. Uh, she was struggling to get by, and she often missed meals, and she also really, really needed new clothes. 
But instead, she handed me this, this jar of coins that she had been saving for over eight months. It was likely her entire savings. And everything in me, everything in me wanted to give this jar of coins back to her. But I knew that she was overjoyed and so, so excited to be able to give what she gave and partner with us to see the gospel advance in our city. She was content. She made an incredible sacrifice and was giving it as an act of worship, which leads us to our last principle. Generosity is an act of worship. This lady, this lady she sacrificed food and clothes and other necessities and gave extravagantly and sacrificially and genuinely cheerfully. She was always on the receiving end of gifts, but this time she was on the giving side. She experienced what Paul said in Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive, which is what Paul gets at in verse 17 of chapter 4. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul knows that when they gave, when the Philippian church gave of their resources to Paul and his gospel ministry, Paul knew it was a sign uh, that their hearts were being untied to the world and retied onto God's mission. Giving, it's an act of worship. When we give to the Lord's work, it's not an obligation or a begrudging duty. No, it's worship. When we say to God, God, you have my everything. God, uh, do with me as you please. It's an act of worship, which leads, uh, we worship the Lord by saying, God, I'm yielded to you. I'm yours. Everything I have, it's yours. I want to give you my everything. Uh, we're doing, and when we give, we're doing the exact same thing. We have to be careful thinking, God, you can have my life, but you can't have my finances. Or God, you can have all of me, but then in reality, God doesn't really have our pocketbooks. Or we may think, uh, God, you can have 10% of my pocketbook, and then we think we get the other 90%, but no, God owns 100% of it. And he entrusts us, those resources back to us to use for his purposes, our car, our house, our 401k, our food. We have to evaluate every single bit of it, knowing that it's all the Lord's. None of it's ours. It's all the Lord's. When we proclaim Jesus as Lord of our life, he gets all of our life, including all of our resources. And when we get this, when we get this, it becomes a gift to us, and we're blessed by it. And can say, as Paul said, with great contentment in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, we see these same themes uh, come back up. Paul's contentment and their giving as worship. Paul says he's received full payment and more. He's got more than enough. And he acknowledged that their gift uh, was a sacrifice, which he calls a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, showing that their gift, it was an act of worship. He knew of their sacrifice. Uh, what, is clear from Paul, what is clear from Paul's words here is that money, it's a terrible master. We don't worship money. No, we worship God with our money. And then he says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knows that God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Our God is rich. He supplies our needs according to his riches. He owns the whole world. He holds, he holds it all in his hands. But notice it doesn't say he will supply for their greed. No, he says he'll supply for their need. God knows exactly what we need, and he also knows exactly what we do not need. And he gives to us what's best for us. May we not think we're more blessed if we have more. No, in fact, the Bible gives more warnings to those who have an abundance. God has given us exactly what we need, not what, what, we, what, what we may want or desire. No, he gives us what we need. 
And we can give extravagantly and sacrificially and cheerfully with great contentment because we know of the great treasure we have in Jesus. And what we, may, uh, what we may need at times is not more money and not more resources, but to learn how to live with just far less and to be content in all circumstances. And the way this happens is by living in faith, not the faith that God will supply us with resources, but God will supply us with exactly what we need in every season, leading us to our last point for today. Number three, gospel partners live in faith. When we talk about contentment and generosity and giving and receiving in gospel partnerships, there's no doubt about it. None of this makes any sense without faith. Finding contentment, it's a good thing. And it's often sought after. But being content when everything around us seems to be crumbling or miserable, it makes no sense apart from faith. Sacrificial and cheerful generosity, it makes no sense apart from faith. It doesn't take much faith to give out of an abundance. It takes far greater faith to give sacrificially. It takes far greater faith to give until it hurts and really, until it really affects our lives. And then to be cheerful about it, to be joyful about it. And the only way this happens is to truly understand the incredible benefit, the gift that we have uh, in Jesus Christ, to know of our internal inheritance that we gain. Alistair Begg, you know, one of the pastors that I love to listen to, he said, uh, while it's not a bad idea for us to have a 401k or an IRA, uh, which is an individual retirement account, he said, every Christian should have an IEA. It's an individual eternal account, laying up our treasures in heaven. And then he asked, when was the last time you gave to that account? When was the last time you gave the eternal, to eternal causes, giving of your resources to impact eternity? Every time we give to eternal causes, we're setting aside our resources for our eternal gain that we find in Jesus. Every time we give, we're laying aside our treasures in this world and we're laying up treasures uh, for the next world. We're saying, I have everything I need in Christ. Christ is enough. I'm content and I'm satisfied in Jesus. I don't need my comforts. I don't need more stuff. I don't need financial security. No, we need Jesus Christ and nothing else. We can say, as Paul says in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We can say to, to our God be glory forever and ever. Our glory will not last. Our kingdoms, our houses, our clothes, our comforts, our savings accounts, our 401ks, they will not last. No, the only thing that will last forever is the word of God and the souls of men. And when we invest, we must invest wisely. And then Paul ends this letter with greeting those he loves. These men that he's kind of invested in. Verse 21, 22 and 23, the very end of the letter. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends this letter by directing his attention to his gospel partners. And not only to those in Philippi, he then says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, those who are under the rule of the Roman Empire. He's reminding them again, if you're just kind of thinking back to this entire letter, he's reminding them again that the gospel is still advancing. Remember, they're still advancing through the Roman guards, that they're, they're gaining more gospel partners. Even under the harsh rule of the Roman Empire, the gospel is still advancing, which I love. Because what this shows uh, was that gospel partnerships were growing as the gospel was as advancing. And that's how the kingdom of God works. When we, New City Church, when we invest in South Asia, when we invest uh, in the Middle East, when we invest in, a church, in church planting in Roanoke, Virginia, and other church plants around the world, which we're going to share next week, when the gospel advances, our partnerships advance. 
This is how the kingdom of God works. We labor, we sow seeds, we invest, and the gospel spreads. And over the past year, church-wide, we've, we've been pr- praying for several different villages in South Asia. Last year, I don't know, you may remember, we, we printed out a card at the end of the year for those who were with us at that time, targeting five key villages to pray for consistently for a whole year, uh, where they were hoping and intentionally laboring for God to move. And in, in, in areas, in these villages, where historically there was no gospel witness, I had very few believers, maybe, maybe one, or they were interested, maybe two in, in some of these villages. Some had no known believers at all. I've had my car on the dashboard of my car all, all year long, just kind of praying every time I get in my car for these villages, probably like many of you wondering if anything was ever happening, if, you know, if anything. And I'm excited to announce in those five villages over the past year, four out of the five villages have seen new people profess faith. Yeah, praise God. Over 15 people, over 15 people in those four villages are now professing believers, believers where before there was almost nothing. And the, that, the, the fifth, uh, they had, that, was, that was one where they had a few believers and they have had really good, intentional, uh, systematic discipleship and they're growing and they're, even, they're proclaiming the gospel even amongst great trials and hardships. We now have more gospel partners in these villages. The gospel is moving and advancing and taking root through our gospel partnerships. And so just like we did last year, as we think about gospel partnerships and giving, seek, seeking to see the gospel continue to advance here in Tampa and around the world, we're going to have a special year-end offering. We want to ask you to give above and beyond your normal giving to a fund that's specifically designated to 100% missions and church planting. Everything you give to this offering, 100% of it uh, will leave our church to help spread and advance the gospel in a new place around the world. In essence, there's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, take our resources and use them for your glory. This is not about us. This is all about your kingdom. This offering will be open through the end of the year. You can give online now uh, through our website under the tab, 2021 Missions and Church Planting. Uh, And I know this year it's been a challenging year for so many, including economically. But I want to challenge us to, all of us to think and ask a few questions. I, I've been doing this myself also. To ask, am I content? Right, just for, for the foundational question. Are we content with what the Lord has given us? What's my heart tied to? What's my heart tied to that I can sacrifice? And then ask, what would be a generous gift? What, that would be a, a sacrificial offering as an act of worship to the Lord. Uh, New City Church, let's all together seek and ask in what areas of our hearts and lives, are, what, what areas are we tied to the world? And then ask, how could God use those areas of our life to be used for kingdom purposes? But as we do all of this, as we've seen throughout this entire book of Philippians, that there's, there's great joy that can be found, but it's Jesus alone that finds our joy and satisfaction. You know, let's, let's celebrate uh, and, and, and labor and pray to that end that we would believe that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient and that everything else, it's all to be used for God and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we're grateful that we have a sure foundation. Father, that you are enough in all seasons, with, in a, seasons of abundance and seasons of lack. Father, we can be content in all circumstances. And we can be content in all seasons, no matter what is happening around us. Because, God, we know that you're enough. God, we know that you're sufficient. And, Father, we pray that you would unlock our hearts to live uh, in towards radical generosity. Father, we love you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.